This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. And well, as you walk away today, I hope that you fall more deeply in love with Jesus through obedience to him, knowing him, walking with his people, spending time alone with him in private community, alone with the Father. I hope that you fall more deeply in love with God today because I know that my God loves you deeply today. I know that God has chosen you today, that you are here for a purpose today, that you are not here randomly, but God loves you. Infinitely before the creation of the world, God chose to send his son Jesus Christ to die for you, that he would die on a cross, that he would live the life we couldn't live, die the death we should have died, and raised from the dead so that you can too. God has given us the opportunity today to worship him for what he has done, and I hope to draw you in more closely, more deeply to the Father whom loves you so deeply that he has chosen to send his son Jesus Christ for you. If there is anything I tell you today, I want to have a foundation and to be centered on this truth that God loves you so much. In the midst of your darkness, death, evil, wickedness, and separation from him, he chose you out of the midst of all of that mess and he's recreating you into his image. That's the foundation of how we move forward into this. Because look, you've come in here today, and we said it kind of week after week, man. You don't walk into a church and go, man, I, usually you don't walk into a church and go, man, I really hope they talk about sin today. Like that's the topic I just want to talk about. But I want you to understand something true. I want you to, to, to really just meditate on this throughout this sermon is that in the midst of our recognition of our depravity and sinfulness, in the midst of us recognizing that wickedness in our heart, it's then when we realize how much God truly loves us. I, I'll remind you of a, of, of a verse that we... We spoke at the beginning of this sermon series many months ago. It was Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy and righteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. At the very heart of Jesus is compassion for those who are separated from his Father. To understand God is to understand His grace towards our world. To understand His Son sent into this world, into the midst of the darkness and the evil and the wickedness, knowing what He was stepping into. To understand Jesus is to understand that when the Pharisee said this, it was completely contrary to everything about God's heart. When he said, I thank God I'm not like them, what we should understand is, thank you God that you have loved me. And thank you God that you have loved them too. You see, it's only when we truly understand the love of God that we can fall more deeply in love with God. You know this about your own relationships. You know this about how you walk through life. As we understand more deeply how compassionate each other are and how wonderful each other are, we fall more in love with one another. I want you to be so saturated with the gospel this morning that you fall more deeply in love with your God. The God of this universe who infinitely loves you. I hope you fall in more love with the God who loves you. And in Matthew 15, 19, we saw it last week. We saw that our inner life controls our actions. And that those actions come out as righteousness or sin. 
And that ultimately, as we see those actions come out as righteousness or sin, the only way to overcome the sin is through the power of God transforming our hearts, our inner life. And so if this is true, if our inner life dictates what we do, then we need transformation internally. And so I I told you last week that I hope to come back this week and to be able to give you some practical examples of how you, uh, in Scripture, can refocus your heart and fall more deeply in love with the God of the universe. But at the center of it, at the beginning of it, I just want you to think about how good it is that we've received the gospel message. Because I can talk about a lot of different things today. I can talk about a lot of things that will, maybe practical things that you can put in place that will help you out in your daily walk in life. But there's nothing I can tell you that will more greatly impact your heart and your love for God than the gospel message. And that is that you were separated from God so far away that there was no chance at getting back. That just as evil and wicked and dark as the world may look and you may view the world, you too were there. And that in the midst of that darkness and rejection, God found you. I hope to just pour that over you continually throughout this morning so at some point in your mind and in your hearts you go, okay, if I'm going to fall more deeply in love with God, I need to understand His love for me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3-6 through tells us, This is how we know that we know Him if we keep His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him and yet doesn't keep His commands is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word truly in Him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. Now, Here's, here's the reality. We are in a cycle. This, this really a cycle uh, uh, that you can choose to be in one or the other. And the cycle that I believe you've chosen to be in is the, is the one about loving God and obeying God. Right? So we, we proclaim that we love God, therefore we will obey God. This is the cycle of what it means to be uh, living like a Christian in His world. Uh, he loves us. He first loved us. Therefore we obey Him. That's what First John is going to tell us right? Y'all remember the gospel of John? I've written these things so that you may believe in the Son of God. First John, I've written these things so that you might know that you believe in the Son of God. The gospel of John wants you to believe in Jesus. First John wants you to know that you believe in Jesus. Because am I right? Somebody in here in this room today is thinking, I don't even know if God loves me. I don't even know if He has saved me. I don't even know where I am on this journey, and I need help discovering it. What I want to tell you something. First John chapter 2, verse 3 through 7, or 3 through 6, comes right after an important verse. First John 2-2. He himself is our propitiation, but not just for us, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, Jesus Christ gave up his life for you and for all the rest of the world, and it's out of that that we find obedience. It's first out of the sanctification and the grace and the mercy and justification and everything God has done in your heart that then you come into an obedience towards God, and then it comes back around and you fall more in love with God, and then, you, and then you're more obedient to God, and then you fall more in love with God, and all of a sudden you're in this cycle of knowing God, loving God, and obedient to God. And your life starts to pattern it, and disciplines, and habits, and virtue come from it, and all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't even know how I got here, and and you just fell more in love with God. And you became more obedient to God, and then you fell more in love with God, and you became more obedient to God, and it became this cycle in your life. You see, because it's not 
We can't separate 1 John 2, 2 from the rest of it. Some people might look at this and go, man, it really sounds legalistic that you would say that you need to become obedient to God to fall in love with God. That just sounds wrong, Matt. It's not. You do it every day. Think about it. Somebody, somebody in here uh, who's married, don't try this. But you know, if your spouse tells you, hey man, I just really need help with this. Here's, here's some things I'd like you to do. If you could really help me out with that. If you don't do those things, not only are, are they going to struggle with you, but you're going to start to be frustrated with them. They give me lists of things I got to do. I'm tired of doing all these things. Do they not understand that I'm working so hard? Do they not understand that I'm tired? How many times do we hear this in marriages, right? In friendships, in workplaces, right? Your boss is telling you things you have to do. And you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. And you're like, man, this is just too much for me. But when we are obedient to one another, when we sacrifice one for one another, when we serve one another out of the abundance of love in our heart, when we start to do things for one another, not only do, do we become more in love with them, but they become more in love with us. And all of a sudden, we start to understand each other. Why do you want this? Why do you love this? Why do you appreciate this? What is it about you that longs for this to be done? I want to understand why you want this. And when we're obedient to one another, we start to learn more about what each other loves and what each other desires and wants. Look, if you want to know God, understand what He wants for you. Why He wants it for you. Why does God list out things that he wants for your life? And why does he want you to do those specific things? Why does God even care what you do with your life? Because he loves you. And it's not until we become obedient to those things that he's called us to that we truly understand, okay, this is actually what is good for me in my life. And when we start to understand that that obedience pattern, that falling after God is actually good for us in our life, that we start overcoming suffering and temptations, and we start living a life that is loving others, which then uh, we start to receive love from others, and we gather together in obedience to God, which is our corporate response to God. As a church, we gather together, and all of a sudden, God's working in the church to encourage one another and to build each other up, as Ephesians 4 would tell us. We start to build each other up, and we start to recognize, man, obedience to God is actually what is good for me in my life. And then we go, okay, if this obedience for God is good for me in my life, man, maybe I love this God. Maybe he actually wants what is good for me. You see, obedience to God ought to stir up in your heart a love for God when you see how good it is to be obedient to a God who loves you. Now, if there was a God who did not have good things for you and did not call you to do good things, obedience would be uh, awful. It'd be oppressive. But we have a good God who wants good things for his people and has called you to obedience to him because obedience to him is way better than obedience to this world. And when you are obedient to God, you will find out how good it is to be obedient to him and not this world. And in your heart, it will stir up a love for God that is so deep and so fresh, you won't want anything else. There'd be nothing else that would be quite as good as the Father. Now, I told you last week, I'm, I'm going to do this quick, but this is from a sermon in 2019. I told you I would remind you of discipline, habits, and virtue, so I want to real quick. You may not even have been here in 2019. Uh, it seems like a light year ago, right? Um, 2019, we talked about habits, uh, or sorry, disciplines, habits, and virtues. Disciplines are those things that you choose to do. 
okay? If you want to wake up at 4.30 in the morning tomorrow, you're probably going to have to choose to do that. Now, there's some of you like John Branham in here who could wake up at 4.30 naturally. Am I right, John? It's just natural for your body, right? You wake yourself up. Others of us might have to set our alarm. Some of you might need to put your phone 10 feet away to wake up. Some of you might need something that would shake your bed. Some of you need one of those lights. Have you seen them? You can time them. They come on really bright. I don't recommend it for married couples. Might not be the best thing for your spouse at 4.30 to see that bright light come on, right? So there's, we have to make a decision for disciplines, Habits are those things you don't have to make a decision for. We talked about this a little bit. These are those things, those choices that you make without making the decision to do them. I gave you the illustration. I like to, I tend to find myself uh, uh, tapping my leg. I tend, if music's playing, I'm playing the drums, right? I can't help it. If you see me during worship, it's how I express worship to God sometimes. I don't know why. It's part of my habit to worship God, okay? Uh, There's things that I do that are habits. Now, I have to make a conscious decision to stop that. That's one of the easiest ways to find out if it's a habit. If you have a habit in your life, it's natural. And if you're going to stop it, you have to make a conscious decision for it. You, can, you start it without making a decision, right? But you stop it by making a decision. Okay, so that's a habit. So then you ask, what is a virtue then? Virtues differ from habits because a virtue influences the choices that you make. Habits don't really influence when you have to make a decision, again, because you're not making a decision to start them. Virtues influence the decisions that you make. All right, so a habit has become a vice or a virtue when it dictates what you do. If you have an addiction in your life that causes you to change your plans, change your relationships, change your lifestyle for the worse because of the addiction, that is now not a habit in your life. It is a vice. Call it what it is, right? We've got to call it what it is in our life. We may say, oh, I've got the habit of blank. But the reality is we need to really dig deep and say, okay, but does this habit negatively affect what we do with our lives? Does it affect our choices that could be right or wrong? And it makes us choose what is wrong. And if it does, then now it's a vice. Now, the difference between a vice and a virtue is a virtue influences your choices towards the positive. It influences you to do what is right. Spend time creating vices in your life with discipline, habits, If you create those vices in your life, then people will see a character that is not in line with Christ. But if you spend time creating disciplines for your life that manifest in habits that ultimately become virtues and you choose to do what is right consistently over time, the long journey, people are going to see your life and see a character that is consistent with Christ. And it all starts with a discipline. It all starts with one step in one direction towards a vice or towards a virtue. And you may say, man, this sounds really philosoph- uh, f- philosophical. <laughs> it may sound really philosophical or ethics-oriented. Or maybe you'd say this sounds sort of secular. Well, I want to remind you that Paul and Peter spoke into a secular culture. And instead of not using sec- secular cultural ideals and, and patterns and language, they spoke into it. They used Greek instead of Hebrew. Right? They spoke the common tongue of the language. Jesus spoke Aramaic with his people. They wrote in Greek so that the Romans could understand this. They wanted the people to understand these things. Why? Because they were already using a set system of rules. They would call vices and virtues. You've seen them. They're five or seven, depending on who you study. Or They could be even more than that. Maybe there's ten. 
But we don't talk about this a lot, do we? We don't talk about vices and virtues. But Second Peter has a list of virtues. Every list you see in Scripture is essentially a list of vices and virtues. You know, you got vices like envy and jealousy. you got virtues like goodness and self-control and gentleness and compassion. You have all these lists of vices and virtues in Scripture, and I want you to understand that there are things in your life that will dictate the way you live. There are things in your life that are going to dictate the way you live, and we've got to call them out for what they are. And the reason we need to call them out for what they are is generally when a vice, when something, a habit becomes a vice, we now f- have fallen in love with it and we worship it. That's difficult to admit. Like we have to wrestle with that, right? When a discipline and a habit become a, a vice, we've got to be honest with ourselves that generally that is now something that we worship. We spend our, mind, our, our money on it. We spend our time on it. We spend our, uh, our talents on it. And all of a sudden, instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, now we wake up seeking first that vice. And so really it becomes the love and desire of our heart. So when I go back to this and I say, hey, be obedient to your God and follow after your God, creating virtue in your life, it's because really I want you to come to a place where you've been obedient to your God and now you're falling more deeply in love with Him and not falling more deeply in love with the things of this world. We want to fall more in love with the God of this universe. Therefore, we are obedient to Him. If you would continue in this passage, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it makes this point. It says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, we, we have the opportunity to love the world or love God. And so we've talked about the obedience towards God, but I want to put it in front of you to ask this question. Have you ever thought about the love and the worship of these things in the world passing away? Like, think about it like that. It's so much easier to pull somebody down than it is to lift somebody up. For instance, um, be careful that you don't catch yourself in a space where people are rejecting God and living in continual sin, like a continual pattern of sin. You don't find yourself in that place as a solo Christian doing what is being done. Now, pause there. There's a difference between being in a place where you're bringing light in the midst of darkness and being in a place where you're in agreement with a pattern of sin. Because when you do that, people will start to see you as the reason why what they are doing is okay. Well, the Christian's doing it with us. The Christian is condoning this because if, if it's wrong, then the Christian wouldn't be doing it. Therefore, what we're doing, it's okay. Now, you may not think this because you may be have living in a life and you may feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to fit in. I'm just, I'm just trying to enjoy my life. I'm just trying to do all these things. But really, in reality, is what you are doing is joining in and passing away. I mean, think about it. The, the lust is passing away. The more we love and fall in love with the things of this world, the more we are joining in with passing away. But what does Scripture tell us? Scripture tells us to put our treasures in heaven, not on earth. And where you put your treasures is where your heart will also be. If you want your heart to be in love with Jesus, do not put your treasure in the things of this world. Do not fall in love with the things of this world. 
If you want to fall more in love with Jesus, understand that this world is passing away. Now, I want to be really clear with what I say here because it's starting to, it was starting to mix up in my mind at 9.30. If you were in here, you would know I was just getting like messed up. I was trying to understand this. Jesus telling us not to love the world. And then I'm like, hey, we should love the world. And I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Pause. How do we do this? Well, I think it really comes out in how Jesus did it, right? We don't love the things of this world that are passing away and drawing people away from God. But we do love the people of this world. Okay, so if you will move with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 through 22. It says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know uh, we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. You see how all three are listed right there. Like hate the world and the things of it. Love the people in it and be obedient to God. I mean, if you're asking seriously, what, what would Jesus do? Recognize sin, repent from it, re-envision glory, repattern your mind, refocus your heart, retrain your actions, all right there in First John. See the sin of the world, recognize it for what it is, reject it, turn it back to God, envision glory, what would it look like? It would look like loving people. How would we love people? We'd lay down our lives. How else would we love people? We'd give them the goods they need to provide for them so that they could be taken care of. And then what would we do? We would live our lives out for, in love so that the world would see us, and by this, all men would know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, and it would form a character that is proving Jesus Christ's work in our lives. Like that, it's all right there in this one passage obedience, retrain your actions. We see it all there. And I want, and I hope that you can so clearly see this, that as we, as we reject the things of this world and love the people of this world, we will see the heart of God. And when you see the love of God and the heart of God, it's hard to reject our God. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, pause there for a second. We just talked about hating the things of this world. And now it's calling us in two passages to love God. In fact, I don't know that there's any more blunt passage than we just saw. If you don't love people, you don't love or know God. Man, that's difficult. All right, so think about it this way. God has called us to the broken, to the darkest, deepest, like the most evil, the most wicked places on earth. That's exactly where God has called Christians. Why? Because he called his own son there. 
Like Jesus Christ stepped into our world, understanding the brokenness and the death and the evil that he was walking into, took it upon himself to overcome it, not falling into sin and temptation, but overcoming it for us. Then dying the death that we deserved, he overcame it for us. Like he endured all things, yet did not fall into temptations, as Hebrews tells us. God endured everything for you and I and went into the deepest, darkest places on this earth, including your heart. First John tells us he knows our hearts. It's not going to condemn us. Why? is he? Because he's forgiven us. But he knows all things. He knows the wickedness of your heart. So Jesus has stepped into the deepest, darkest places in this world. Our hearts. Our minds. The idols we set up. The idols we worship. The things that our mind thinks. Those things. That's where Jesus stepped into. Knowing the brokenness in this world, he came into it. And the crazy thing is... That John 17, which it changed my life forever, and it will forever change my life going forward. It, I'm never going to stop remembering this John 17 passage, and I hope you will too. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm leaving, you're staying. What? Take us with you. I'm leaving, you're staying. I mean, I can imagine the disciples' face. Can you imagine Peter? Can you imagine James and John? They saw the glory of God, and they're like, hey, I want to go with you. And Jesus is like, no, I'm leaving. You're staying, but I'm going to send you something that you need to stay. The Spirit of God is going to work in you. I'm leaving. You're staying. What are you staying for? i got a purpose for you. What's that purpose? You're going to go to the ends of the earth. To who, God? To everyone. To the broken. To those who are far away from me. To the sinners to the tax collectors, to the adulterers, to the murderers. I'm going to send you to those who are far away. Man, when you get to those who are far away from God, when you get to the deepest, darkest places of this world, the most evil places in this world, the most wicked places in this world, I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you actually love those people? Because that's when God loved you. Not when you were perfect, but when he found you in your deepest, darkest places. So now when you come back to this verse and it says that you ought to love people and hate the world, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, that's hard. That most people in this room would probably agree with me. That's really hard. You probably watch news, social media, get text messages, see things with your eyes in the world that just frustrate you. It's hard to love wickedness. That's why God said, hate that. But what's good? To love people. So let me tell you something. Let me tell you what passage. Um, 1 Corinthians 13. It's not a wedding passage alone, right? 1 Corinthians 13. If we speak with human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, then we are but the singing, these clanging uh, uh, cymbals or gongs, right? We use it oftentimes in weddings, but um, if we speak and we know love, but do not act it, then it's just fake, right? Okay, now think about, what's the verse that we all know? What's the verse that, like, almost every Christian knows in the world? Like, it's just the one, like, hey, you're a Christian, memorize this. Like, you know what I'm talking about? John three sixteen. Y'all with me? What's the first words? For God so loved the world. That's life-changing. That's world-shaking news right there. For God so loved the world. God loved the world. He just told us to hate the world. For God so loved the world. Who does he love? He loves the people in the world. He loves all nations, all people, all 
who are broken can come to him. The little children, those who are sinful, those who are not of the same nationality, those who have been far from him and rejecting him and denying him for all their life can be called into a right relationship with God. That's who Jesus got up on the cross for. That's the gospel, and it saturates every bit of us and then demands a question. Do we love the whole world? Because it's in those deepest, darkest places that we face people who we disagree with, don't want to be a part of our lives, don't like what they do. We see it and we have a question to ask. Do we hate what they do and the evil and the wickedness that controls them or do we hate them? Because man, that Pharisee that looked over at that sinner and said, thank God I'm not like them. That's the complete opposite of for God to love the world. And today, each one of us is faced with the question, do we love all people? And I know it's difficult. And I know we got to wrestle with it. And I know we got to work through it. But Jesus came for all people and he sent you for them all too. And the reason I ask you this question is because until we understand the love of God, it's hard to know the love of God. It's hard to experience the love of God. Until you understand how far God's love will truly go and who God will truly love, the miracles God will perform for the people whom you thought were so far away. The people who can walk into a church who you never thought could. The people whose lives transform who you never thought would. Until you understand how far God's love goes, it's hard to understand and know God's love. So I want to challenge you to do a few things. Knowing these truths, that obedience to God forms love in our hearts, that if we stop loving the world, we start loving God, and that loving others draws us to the heart of God, I want to challenge you with a few things. Have deep community with other believers, which is what you are doing currently right now, and I hope you will continue to do. Have deep community with other believers in Christ. Why? Because we encourage one another and we challenge one another. I want you to confess to one another. See, this is our corporate response to this. You want to fall more deeply in love with God? Understand how God works in the church. Now, I have no clue if I've already shared this with you because this is my third sermon, all right? So I'm just going to share it. And somebody just give me this number if I've already shared it, okay? Uh, God's love for you can be seen in the church. And if we separate ourselves out from the church then we start, stop experiencing that unbelievable love of God that is poured out from the Holy Spirit into other believers to build us up. You see, isolated we experience the love from God personally, but corporately we experience the love of God as a church, as a body. You see, when I start to see that other people have gifts that I don't have, I start to see that God put that person in my life to build me up and God put me in their life to build them up. And now I start to see that God loves me because even though I'm deprived of something because of my brokenness in this broken world, God put somebody there with me to walk with me in my brokenness and encourage me. And the fact that we have three or four hundred people who are here this morning to walk with you is a picture of God's love for you. 
What if we laid down our lives for one another like Scripture tells us to? What if we truly embodied care for one another, counsel for one another? What if we walked with each other through the deepest, darkest? Would you not understand God's love more clearly? In our community, in our confession, would we not see God more clearly when we open up and say, man, I need help. Walk with me. And 300 soldiers stand up to walk with you. You see, it's, it's not till we have corporate relationships with one another, bond together as the church, get together with people who are far from God, from the orphans and the widows to the sinners and the sick. It's not till we get to those who God came for, the sick, not the healthy. It's not till we get to them that we, that we understand the compassion of God and the grace and mercy of God. Because it's in those moments that we see the actual love of God and can understand how much He actually loves us. Now that's corporate. But if we're talking personally, I want to give you three challenges and then I'm going to pray for you. And the band's going to come forward as we worship. Three personal challenges, okay? Three corporate, three personal. Here's your personal. Sometimes we simply need to detox from the situation. We have to detox from this world because it has become an addiction in our life. Now here's what that looks like. Detoxing from creation that we might love creator. And then... When we love Creator, we can enjoy creation. All right, we don't have a right relationship with the creation until we have a right relationship with the with the Creator. So we need to detox ourselves. What that looks like, uh, um, people go through addiction recoveries all the time, right? Uh, you may have been through addiction recovery. Praise God. Um, most of us in this room need to go through addiction recovery. Maybe it's not to a drug or a substance, but it's something in your heart and in your mind that is controlling you. Oftentimes in the church world, we call this biblical counseling. Pastor Bill does this often, but Pastor Glenn and I will do this too. You do this in D groups, you do this in life groups. We do this in community with others. It's detoxing, separating ourselves out for a season. Why do we do this? Because if you are addicted to something, whether it be a substance or something in your life that has become toxic to you and to your relationships, you need to set yourself away from that for a certain amount of time so that you can gain control over your addiction to it. There ought to be a time in your life where you have control and then you can come back into the right relationship with what God created, that good thing that ought to be restored back to your life. Now, not all things are good and beneficial, so let me give you four questions to ask of every single thing you encounter that will help you understand if it's toxic for your life. First, is it from God? Second, is it good? So it can be from God, and it can be good for humans. Third, because things can be good, but not beneficial. Right? Things can be good, but not beneficial. Things can be from God, created by God, that is not good for me, nor is it beneficial for me. Right? So all things God created, but not all things, some things have been twisted by man to become bad. Some things have been twisted by man to become bad. Even things that were from God are twisted by man to become bad, okay? So some things can be bad. Some things can be good, but not beneficial for me. All right, so in your life, you're looking at different things in your life. You're saying, okay, this is from God. It is a good thing, but right now, I don't have control over my life. This would not be beneficial to put it into my life. So uh, let me give you an example of an experience in your life. If you are not married, sex is not good for you. 
Why? Because God created it to be in one relationship, to be one marriage, to be one parenting group, and to live the rest of your life in unity with that person, displaying the gospel out to them. Premarital sex is not beneficial for you. Post-marriage, after marriage, there is sex is good. It is right. It is holy. It's what God wants for your marriage. It is beneficial. So then you have to ask yourself the fourth question. Can I control the temptation to excess or to depriving myself of it? Can I control excess? So it could be good from God, beneficial, but you can't control excess. And if, if that's the case, or depriving, if that's the case, recognize that it's toxic in your life and start to move towards biblical counseling for your life to overcome that addiction. So what I want you to do is detox, eliminate from your life, and then replace. So remember the passage, 1 John, things are passing away. The lust of the world is passing away. So as those things are passing away, let's fill it up with heavenly things. Set your mind on things above. Seek things above. Seek first the kingdom of God. All of these things now are coming into our life as other things are passing away. Detox, replace. That's how we change our hearts. Detox and replace. So we ask things like, do I love God the Creator first? If you don't love God the Creator first, replace the love of the world with the love of God. We ask, is this from God the Creator? Just like we asked with detox. Is this something from God? You don't want to replace something from the world with something from the world. Right? So we have to ask it again. Is this something I should replace what was wicked with into what is good? Can I control my temptations with this thing that is from God? Am I giving thanks to God for this good gift, as 1 Timothy would tell us? We give thanks for everything created by God because everything created by God is good. Man distorts it, but everything created by God is good. So are we giving thanks for what God is giving to us to replace what we've eliminated, which is wicked? Now this final one, practice, or uh, the word uh, I would use is liturgical. Now people start to get a little weird with practice liturgical obedience or live. So what I, want, I don't want you to think about, typically we shouldn't say what you don't want to think about first because then all you're going to do is think about it. <laughs> so here's what I want you to think about. Fall deeply in love with God by being intentional with God. Here's what I don't want you to think about. Practice is legalistic. Litur- liturgy is legalistic. No, it's not true. All right, we all do this. Come on. Parents with kids, grandparents, you have to set time apart to be with your kids. Am I right? You're going to have to set time apart to be with your grandkids, right? You've got to set time in your day to work. Like if you have work hours, but you don't plan for it, you're going to miss work and the consequences are going to come, right? If you don't set time to eat, you're not going to eat. If you don't set time to sleep, you're not going to sleep. Those are unhealthy patterns. We set time in our day for everything, from picking up our kids to taking them to sports, to eating, to working out. We set time for everything. Meeting with our friends. You're not going to meet with your friends and hang out with them if you don't set up a time, right? Hanging out with our spouse. You're not going to hang out with your spouse if you don't set out a time to meet with them, right? Why would we not be intentional with setting out time for the God of the universe when we do it for every single thing else. You see, it it can sound legalistic, but when your heart is set on love and a relationship with God, then it's just an outpouring of your desire to be with Him. Look, men and women, 
If you love something, you make time for it. You love something, you make time for it. If you love your God, you make time for it. It's not about legalism, trying to gain your salvation to God. Rather, it's about, I love my God and I simply want to be with Him. And you know, if you're at the stage where you're like, yeah, I'm I'm just struggling to create time. I don't know when I can spend time with God. Hey, look, you need to look at all those things and hey, maybe it's from God. Maybe it is good. But right now, it's so cluttered your heart that you fall in love with things other than God and you have no space for God. We're at the beginning steps of discipline. Discipline is, okay, I'm going to have to carve this time out. But my prayer is that it will become a habit of your life. That you're not going, man, i got to wake up 15 minutes early. Rather, you're going, hey, in every space in my day I have, I'm spending with God. I'm praying to God. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray always. Thank God always, right? We're spending time with God constantly. That's when a discipline has become a habit, and then ultimately it becomes a virtue. And now you're looking at your life going, yeah, yeah, I think I, think I can see a picture of how God's changed my life because my whole life is saturated with worshiping Him and loving Him. I hope that you today will be faced with the reality that as we look at our day, if we haven't patterned our day after love for God and worship for God, then we are not seeking first the kingdom of God, setting our mind on Him and seeking Him, but rather we have set our pattern, we've set our habits to love the things of this world and even to love good things from the Creator rather than loving the Creator. So I'm challenging you this morning. Detox, replace, and fill. Some things you don't need to eliminate, but some things you need to set to the side. Some things you just need to picture differently in re-envisioning glory, how we view our children, how we view our spouses, how we view our friends in light of the gospel, in light of who God is and how he loves us. And so I would be wrong not to end the same way we began Because at the end of the day, we can talk about overcoming sin all day long. You can go to uh, uh, addiction recovery. You can go to counseling. You can go to psychological work. You can go to physical doctors. You can go to spiritual doctors. You can go to all those different things. But if your mind is not set on this truth that Jesus Christ alone brings forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit has brought freedom into your life, you're never going to find victory in Christ Jesus. You're never going to find victory over sin and temptation if you do not find Jesus Christ first. And so I hope today the only thing you, if the only thing you hear is this, is that Jesus Christ loves you so much, I think and I hope that as you discover his love for you, you'll fall more deeply in love with him. So I think there's a ton of things I could tell you to do. From meditation, which I always tell you to do, to prayer, to solitude and simplicity and silence, to fasting, to meeting corporately and getting in a life group. All of these things I would encourage you to do. But if you don't fall in love with Jesus because he's in love with you, then you've missed why we do everything else. I hope your prayer time leads you to Jesus. Your meditation time leads you to Jesus. And I hope each one of you loves God more deeply and worships him continually throughout the day. I'm going to have the worship team come forward. And this is your time to worship. Look, y'all, singing is not worship. It can be, but it's not always worship. And worship is definitely not singing. But singing can be worship. Playing instruments can be worship. Sitting silently can be worship. But here's what I would challenge you to do as a response to today's message. Worship. On your knees, on your feet, in prayer, or in God's Word. 
Just worship. Start a discipline right now to corporately worship your king. However you want to. I'm not telling you you got to sing. Because I'll close, I'll close with this uh, quote. You are what you worship. If you are what you love and your ultimate loves are formed and aimed by your immersion in practices and cultural rituals, then such practices fundamentally shape who you are. At stake here is your very identity, your fundamental allegiances, your core convictions and passions that center both your self-understanding and your life. You are what you worship. Do you worship your king? Do you worship and love your king? I'm going to speak scripture over you and we're going to go into a time of prayer if you will bow your heads. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Father, would you draw us near to you, cause us to love you more deeply this morning, to be obedient to you and know you with faith and with hope. Would you help us to see how much you love those who are far from you so that we understand your more love more deeply. And I pray, God, that our spiritual act of worship this morning will be to lay down our lives for you. For whatever you have for us in your purpose and your plan, we will take it up as we understand more what your love for us is. And we know your scripture in 1 John. You loved us first. You loved us before we even knew you. So God, if you've loved me that way, we worship you and we love you. We thank you. I can't even understand it, but I thank you. And I pray, God, that you would unite our church around that truth. We love you and praise you in your son's name. Amen you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.